You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you, and I'll tell you what, I am glad I do this podcast in the middle of the week, because if I decided to do a podcast on Friday or Saturday after that Thursday night game, I would not be level-headed. And maybe that's what some people want. I, I understand some people tell me they think it's fantastic when I go on rants. I try not to. I don't think it's good for my sanity. And, and I absolutely would have there. That was a frustrating, frustrating game to watch. And, and look, let's start with this. Let's start with the Chicago Bears defense, which continues to look pretty good. And, and it is. does that mean they're amazing, a top 10 unit? No, of course not. But they're doing all right, right? They're not allowing a ton of points in the second half. They're making plays when they need to. They are turning the ball over a little bit. Look, they're not getting to the quarterback like they need to. But, look, with Robert Quinn playing like he's playing, like that's that's going to be what that is, right? They just, just they don't have the talent up front on that defensive line to create consistent pressure. So they're going to rely on their linebackers. They're going to rely on their pass coverage. And so far, so good. Roquan Smith's not playing like he should be playing. So even with that in mind, it, the unit as a whole is doing okay. So, th so that's a positive, right? The unit is doing okay. But on the offensive side of the football, and you want to sit there and check the mark that they can run the football, and that's nice to see. I agree. I, that's great. Luke Getze, I, look. It's not like he he misled any of us. He said he was going to run the football all offseason, and they are running the football. But they cannot mix a passing game in here. They they cannot figure it out. I mean, the fact that Justin Fields, what did he throw for? 210 yards against Minnesota, and that was far and above his best game of the year. And I understand you can't just sit there and say, you know, whether, you know, quarterback throws for 250 yards, yes or no, did he, is that the equivalent of having a good game? No, of course not. There's a lot more that goes into it. But just the fact I bring that up because that just means they, are, they just are never amassing yards through the air. And this is the NFL in 2022, is it not? I mean, that's, that's kind of the name of the game here. And it is... It is frustrating to watch, and just watching Justin Fields on Thursday was genuinely painful. Like it genuinely, like emotionally painful. Not as not as like a Bears fan where you sit there and be like, oh man, that, that's that's tough. He got hit again. No, like as a human being, watching Justin Fields get pummeled, and he was pummeled you know he looked like a movie right like uh like adam sandler in the longest yard or 
uh, what was it, uh, Necessary Roughness on Scott Bakula is the old college quarterback and like he's 40 years old, right, where they're they're getting beat up all game and they can barely get off the field. The dramatic music is playing. Like that's what you felt with Justin Fields and you just wished that he could at least have the movie finished where he drives him down and wins the game basically single-handedly. But of course, Mooney bobbles the ball, catches it on the wrong side of the goal line, and here we are. But the game was so frustrating for me as a Justin Fields supporter. And look, as week goes by and week goes by, I will admit my confidence in Justin Fields continues to decrease each week. And the the bottom line is the results on the field. And some of this is Justin Fields' fault. You know, Ryan Griffin, you know, he misses him. Uh, on what would have, you know, he was wide, wide open, right? Now we've seen Keyshawn Johnson. We've seen some other players say, no, that's on Ryan Griffin. His, his footwork was wrong. He wasn't moving at the right speed. But, but the bottom line to me is Fields missed a wide open guy. Fields misjudged how he was going. Bottom line is you can't keep giving Fields excuses. I sat there on this podcast for years saying we got to stop giving Mitch Trubisky excuses. And I understand this is much earlier much earlier in the situation than Trubisky was in 2019 and in 2020. But the bottom line is here, we need to see development from the quarterback. And I love the famous QB development is not linear. And look, fields may come out against New England, blow all our minds, throw for 250 yards and beat Bill Belichick. And we'll sit here and be like, here he is. Justin Fields has arrived. I get that that is always a possibility with him because I do think he is that talented. But he is not making the basic plays he you know he, he can make the flash plays with his legs he can throw the beautiful deep ball like we we know what he is capable of but on second and six is he going to recognize the blitz on the left side and change the the protection and, and and make the the right throw that he needs to throw is he going to make the accurate short quick pass that needs to happen where you go second and six that you can go to third and two or get the first down and make sure third down is manageable. That's where Justin Fields is shooting this offense in the foot. Now, plenty of plays are not his fault, and and I will sit there, and that's what drove me nuts on this game, and we're going to get into some of the details on that. But a lot of this is not Justin Fields' fault, but some of it is Justin Fields' fault. He's a young quarterback, and he's going to make mistakes. And that's why this offseason, this previous offseason, was so frustrating to me because it's like the Bears didn't care. Like, they they weren't going to surround him with anything. And and, and I'll get into that a, a little bit here, and I try not to bring it up. But when you see how Thursday plays out, you have no choice but to bring it up. But Justin Fields, the bottom line is here is he is not making some simple plays that he needs to make. He can't just constantly get giant chunk plays and not anything else. It's it's is it better than it was with Nagy with all the dink and dunk and never having explosive plays? Yes, of course you want the explosive plays, but you kind of figure the explosive plays come with a competent offense. And because of how Fields plays and because of Fields' ability, we're seeing a team that is capable of explosive plays, but not capable of putting together drives. It's it's the strangest thing. And, and then you when you watch the Thursday game, that's where you sit there and go, maybe a lot of Bears fans and some media members anointed Luke Getze earlier than they should. And, and to me, a lot of this is similar to Nagy. And I know Nagy was the head coach and, and Getze's the offensive coordinator, but it was the same thing. It was Nagy's offense and it's Getze's offense. And Nagy, 
and, and I was I was at fault too. Nagy comes in with the Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes says glowing things about him and, and and all this stuff, and you're you're excited, right? And you're you're fired up for what Matt Nagy's offense can be. And we saw what Matt Nagy's offense was. It was crap. And, and now we have Luke Getze. And Luke Getze can certainly put together a run scheme and run the football effectively. That There's no question about it there. But can Luke Getze put together a cohesive passing game? Can Luke Getze put Justin Fields in positions to succeed? I don't know. And we bitched about that, all of us. Nagy, even uh, as someone who was a Nagy supporter for, for multiple years, like myself, we bitched about his inability to put players in position to succeed. Trubisky was the biggest example. There were other issues with Trubisky. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, Matt Nagy was not doing that. And now Luke Getze, when you look specifically at Justin Fields, when you're inside the five-yard line and you have someone like Justin Fields, how are you not utilizing him to keep the defense off balance? I'm not saying just design, run, design, run, design, run with Fields roll him out make the defense come up on him where they know he could score with his legs from the four yard line make them commit where maybe he can float the ball to an open receiver then or if they they don't commit to him then he can get up with the with with the ball and he can score with his legs i don't understand how he we just stick him in the pocket and we don't do anything interesting you know even personnel usage you know uh yeah Flew said, we're going to keep riding the hot hand at running back. Okay, fine. I'm not really seeing that. I'm seeing almost just an alternate kind of a situation. And Khalil Herbert was on the field. When when they run the ball, when you're just going to do a straight dive play, if that's what you're going to choose to do on fourth and, and what, a foot from the goal line, why is Khalil Herbert in? That's David Montgomery territory. Like, if you have Jerome Bettis, you're not going to bring in Willie Parker. And that's obviously, you know, an extreme difference. You know, when you, you know, but David Montgomery is a tackle breaking short yardage guy. He can get, he can muscle that in. So why that was the case. But again, how they're not utilizing fields. They're not setting fields up with a lot of real quick hitting, easy plays to kind of get some confidence and make him feel good. How gets he scripting the first part of these Uh, The first quarter plays have just not looked cohesive. I I mean, the the bottom line here is that that Justin Fields, in a lot of ways, you know what he does well, and they're just not utilizing it very much. I mean, we rarely see a designed run for Fields. and, And I mean, I know he's not Lamar Jackson. He's a different player than that. But design we see how often he picks up 30 40 yards on the ground right in in one play like maybe maybe we want to utilize that a little bit more And, and the fact that this offensive line continues to just allow justin fields to get pummeled i mean look we talked about this in the off season and i'm gonna do this for just a minute and I don't know how many Bears fans told me that I was wrong and I didn't know what I was talking about. And it's a rebuilding year. And who, but okay. They, Ryan Poles had limited resources. Why did Ryan Poles have limited resources? Ryan Pace. Ryan Pace decided that it was more important for him to keep his job than improve the Chicago Bears. So he, 
punted money into the future, signed people on bad contracts and just squeezed them in with void years and, and money in the future and screwed up the salary cap to try and get a contract extension. That's what happened. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's what Ryan Pace did. And I can support Ryan Pace for leading up to 2018 and how the rebuild went and the beautiful offseason he had prior to 2018 and standing pat in 2019 because you hoped that Trubisky was going to improve and that was all you needed to have the team take the next step from 2018 to 2019. You were able to keep most of your defense. So again, no problems there. Then in 2020, where he didn't quite recognize what the issues were, and obviously 2021 with the Jimmy Graham and punting money and, and, and all the crap that, that this team did, that's where Ryan Pace screwed up this team. And Ryan Poles inherited a mess. And I cannot stress enough, Ryan Poles inherited a mess. And I always say, to truly judge GM, you got to give him three off seasons. Three. And we've had one with Ryan Poles. And basically all he did was purge Ryan Pace's crap. So he had a limited amount of money. He did not have a lot to, it's a lot to do with that. But what did he do? He tried to get Larry Ogunjobi. Failed physical, bailed him out there. You know, you Nick Morrow, they needed another linebacker. Okay, fine. They needed a three tick, so then they go for Justin Jones. Okay, fine. But, again, kept spending on the, off, uh, on the defense. Offensively, along the offensive line. Brings in Lucas Patrick. That was Lucchetti's idea. And, and that's basically it. Schofield and Reef were right before training camp when he knew he had to have veterans. Signed a couple guys off the, the, the trash heap. Byron Pringle is the big off-season acquisition at wide receiver. He's had two catches. And then we find out from salary cap experts that if they didn't sign Byron Pringle or if they signed him later or another receiver later after the comp pick deadline, that the Bears would have had a third-round comp pick this year. Now, I understand they needed to put guys in place, but when you're signing crap players, sign them a little later in the offseason. Maybe someone else, maybe they get picked up, but there's probably someone equivalent not too far away. So had that issue where he didn't get the third-round comp, also burned some money with Nick Foles because he didn't handle that properly, and suddenly you see an offseason where... There were mistakes made, and there was nothing done to support Justin Fields. And you get past free agency, and you go to the draft, and he grabbed a gadget guy in the third round for offense and went back-to-back -back secondary picks in the, in the second round. You can't do that with Justin Fields, a quarterback. You need to do something to try and support him. They did nothing. That is frustrating, and that set—I said it in March— I said, this offense is going to be putrid. I said, this offense is going to be one of the worst in the league. I said, this offense is going to be so bad that it's going to be hard to evaluate Justin Fields. I was told I was overreacting, and I hate doing I told you so. It, it's annoying. But when you sit there for four months and try and tell people, I expect this to happen, and everyone tells you you're wrong, and then it happens, you sit there, and it just eats at your core and I just can't believe that we're in this situation. Like I said, I knew the Bears were going to be bad, and if he allocated his resources differently, Ryan Poles, they still would be bad. But at least coming out of this year, you might be able to evaluate Justin Fields, and they're not going to be able to evaluate him, and they may get rid of him at this point. I know Justin Fields isn't their guy, 
But when you sit there and go, they're just leaving him out there to get pummeled by Washington. They've got, they're not utilizing him at all. They seem to just be establishing a scheme and not trying to support fields at what he does. You sit there and you hate conspiracy theory where you're like, well, they didn't like Justin Fields ever. They plan on getting their own quarterback. Maybe that's the case. Maybe that's the case because they certainly don't seem like they want Justin Fields long-term. Now, they could sit there and be like, oh, we believe in Justin Fields. We love Justin Fields. Of course they were going to say that. They are not going to pull a Ron Rivera and say their quarterback stinks. But at the same time, when you see what's going on, you have nothing but pain when you watch Justin Fields and see him. He has to be frustrated. I know he says the right things. Sometimes he lets his body language get the best of him, but for the most part, you know, he keeps a pretty a pretty good poker face out there, but he has got to be frustrated. He has got to be frustrated with what's transpired here. And I don't know what to tell the kid. Like, you know, not that I speak with Justin Fields, but like, what, what can you tell him to give him hope for the rest of this season? What can you tell him to make him believe that his offensive line will keep him upright? There's just, it's just not there. And now you sit there and go, well, maybe Luke Getze's not utilizing him right either. This offense is dreadful. And yeah, they can run the football. So are they going to play good defense and run the football and try and keep the game in single digits? Is that what we're just going to do the rest of the year and just let fields get pummeled and we'll see what they can do next off season. So that's why my guest this week is Brad Spielberger from pro football focus, because not only do I just want to talk some football with him and see what he thinks about Justin Fields, obviously Brad's a big Bears fan, but really kind of talk about the, the offseason as well, because what can they do? You know, I know they're going to have gobs of money and they should have high picks, but if they have what, maybe they'll move on from Justin Fields. Maybe Bryce Young or, or CJ Stroud is going to be the, this team's quarterback next year. I don't know. But what can they do? Can what can they do this offseason? Obviously, you know, there's there's offensive linemen available. They need more receivers. This stuff's all obvious, but will they do it? Or will they maybe casually spend and roll more money in the 2024? I don't know what the, the answer is because they, they just you just don't see a lot of direction right now, and it's really hard to decipher exactly what the Chicago Bears are doing because you just don't see any development at the quarterback situation and you don't see the team supporting Justin Fields in terms of helping him develop. So it's like they've left him to do it on his own. So it's tough to see. It's tough to watch. And at this point with 11 games to go in the season, it, it's, it's starting to get that pit in your, as Bears fans, we felt it before, right? That pit in your stomach where you almost, you almost start watching the games out of, out of obligation. You feel like you're obligated to watch the Bears because you love them so much, but you just have a feeling of dread about every game. And this Patriots game, we'll talk about it with Brad a little bit, and I'll talk about it after the interview. I think it's going to be an ugly, ugly game. I do not think this Bears offense is going to be up for the task of Bill Belichick's defense. So let's, uh, let's get joined by Brad Spielberger. We'll take a quick break. He will join us on the other side. Bill Zimmerman, Bears banter. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. 
All right, welcome back into the podcast. Uh, very lucky to have this individual on. We usually do it maybe a couple times a year. Always do something around February, March, because he's great with the offseason. He's the cap analyst for Pro Football Focus at PFF underscore Brad, if you don't follow him already. A big Bears fan, so kind of get the all-encompassing views from, from Brad Spielberger, who joins us now. Brad, Bill Zimmerman, how are you? Great. Thanks for having me back. And uh, like you said, sometimes the off season, but Hey, it's good to talk some ball as well. Yeah. Let's, 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 let's dive into the bear season so far. And and I kind of said this at the top of a podcast that I'm glad I'm recording this about almost a week after the Thursday night game. Cause if I was recording Friday morning, there probably would have been ranting and raving and some unhinged commentary. Cause I was frustrated off that one. And, and kind of what I was saying at the, the beginning of the the podcast, I said, you know, I knew this was a rebuilding year. And, you know, when I make comments on Twitter, well, it's a rebuilding year. What'd you expect? And my frustration is the direction of this rebuild within the year. We've talked on Twitter and, and, and stuff about that and had some disagreements about that. But this, this Washington game frustrated me on a lot of levels because when you started to breathe a little hope in the Justin Fields with, with, with a better performance the week prior, just seemed like everything that may have been accomplished, everything went backwards. And, and you can question some play calling and question some, some design and, and, and a lot of that. It's just nothing seemed to go right for the Bears offense. And you're, we're at a point in the season now where... I don't care if you're an Ohio State alum and the biggest believer in Justin Fields that there ever has been. You have to have serious concerns, whether they are Fields himself or the outside influences around Fields, that he just may not end up being the guy for the Chicago Bears team. Yeah, you'd be lying to yourself if you didn't have at least some concerns. And we, you know, a lot of the talks we've had back and forth talking about, you know, his surrounding circumstances, how bad it truly is. And make no mistake about it, it's very bad. We were talking earlier specifically about the pressures he gets in under two and a half seconds because there's been this big narrative about how he holds the ball so long. His average time to throw leads the NFL right now around 3.3 seconds. And I do, I'm not absolving him entirely. Some of that is his fault, but it's also something we've seen with Joe Burrow, with Jalen Hurts, like really good players have also had this issue. So not necessarily a death knoll, but the, the, the team right now is allowing the third highest rate of pressures in under two and a half seconds. And then some of those sacks that are beyond that, are they coverage sacks? Cause no one is getting open. Certainly possible. So, you know, it's a mix, some good, some bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, he is, you know, missing that touchdown pass to Ryan Griffin. Some of the other things we've seen, it's also a little bit on him as well. Yeah, no, look, and and that's, I think, the bottom line here is, and I think being objectively, you had to come into this year expecting Justin Fields to make a lot of mistakes, not some mistakes, a lot of mistakes, especially based off of last year. Now, I know a lot of people, a lot of fans, even some analysts and, and media types want to say, basically throw away his rookie year. Matt Nagy did him no favors. He really, you know, there was nothing that could really be done. And so you just kind of just get rid of that. And this is his rookie year. I'm not one of those people. A year in the NFL is a year in the NFL. Uh, and if your circumstances sucked, well, that's really unfortunate for you. But, you know, when you look at, you know, how the contracts are structured and how experience works, you know, you, you still have to make a decision on Justin Fields in the same amount of time as you would, whether you're throwing away his rookie year or you're not. Um, so I don't look at things that way. And yes, does Justin Fields hold on to the ball too long? Absolutely. Does he run into sacks sometimes? 
Absolutely. The fumbles are better, but he's the ball still slipping out of his hand too much. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, you know, we get excited by the wow plays. We get excited about making, you know, getting on fourth and four and getting the first down when there was nothing there or the, whatever it was, the 30, 40 yard run that, 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 that gets them back inside the 10 or, a, you know, the flash play to throw to Pettis and against the Niners, like we get excited about those, but objectively looking at that. And, you know, whether you want to blame that receivers aren't open, as you mentioned, or the offensive line may not be giving them enough time. There are times where, there may be a receiver open and there may be, you know, enough protection from the offensive line where Justin Fields is still struggling with, I don't want to say the simple, but he's, he's struggling with the, the mundane and he's excelling with the flash plays. And to me, and and I hate to bring this up because they're different players and don't, don't make me think I'm saying that they're the same players. To me, this is starting to skate into Josh Rosen territory josh rosen especially that first year in miami when he was playing made some beautiful deep ball throws i mean you looked at it and went wow look at the talent this guy has but he couldn't do anything else other than throw pretty deep balls and i'm starting to have concerns and i don't again i don't know if it's justin fields or i don't know if it's the circumstances he's in where the the second and six play that he needs to make and get it either first down or third and manageable, those plays he continues to not make. And that's where, you know, I've been saying it on this podcast for weeks. We need to see Justin Fields stack positive plays. It's the offense as a whole, but Justin Fields is obviously the captain there. And we saw it a little bit against Minnesota, but we did not see it again. And it's not happening consistently. And, that's where my biggest concern is, is the inconsistencies that he's having, regardless of situation. No, it's it's 100 accurate, and I think you know, especially pointing out the big plays, the, the touchdown in that game against Washington was a, a perfect throw. It literally yeah, sure. like not only a beautiful touchdown deep downfield, but put it towards the sideline, away from coverage, like as good as it gets. But yeah, I think the big thing, and I think this goes back to coaching even more than scheme and personnel and those things is he doesn't really seem to know how to run a quick game or how to get the ball out to a hot route or, or get the ball out in, you know, under two seconds, you know, snap the ball, first read, hit them. And that's kind of what this, you know, again, they're not running the Green Bay Packers offense. I'm kind of getting sick of seeing that. It's a different, it's a bit of a hybrid offense with Lugetsi, but nevertheless, they're top five, top 10 right now in percent of throws behind the line of scrimmage. They do a lot of the, you know, gimmicky stuff. Green Bay is first and that's, and that's that right now. You know, get it out quickly, screens, all those things, quick slants. And those are the throws that you see he's not trusting his eyes and you can't really blame the OL. And yeah, maybe you could blame some receivers, but we've seen some screenshots, which we never love the screenshot game, but you know, of guys with a couple yards of separation on a quick slant and instead he tucks it or he goes to the next read in his progression. It's not that we're missing the big stuff and the intermediate and the deep field. It's that the quick game, it's just not really there for him. And, and again, there are hall of fame quarterbacks. Russell Wilson's never been a good, good quick game quarterback his entire life. It might be catching up to him now but but those things are where you start to get concerned and that you can't always be looking for a touchdown because funnily enough the guy he played against on Thursday is kind of the cautionary tale of what that career looks like when you never learn to take what the defense gives you underneath make some simple throws that's kind of what Carson Wentz has always been and why he's you know probably starting for the last season of his career 
Yeah, and look, uh, uh, the the name that Bears fans like to throw out because of the slow progression, we hear it all the time now, is Josh Allen, right? Because Josh Allen had a bad second year. Now Josh Allen is arguably the best quarterback in the NFL. I'm still taking Mahomes personally, but, you know, he's he's right there. You know, you can't have him basically out of the top three. He's at, he's at that level. And this is just one play that I'm isolating, but in, in the Kansas city Buffalo game, and it was, it was, it was a basic thing that, that good quarterbacks and, and need, need to be able to do. I think it was a third down Buffalo had the ball and Kansas city decided to blitz and Allen recognized it immediately. And it, it was effortless, right? You know, that he sees where the blitz is coming from and Stefan Diggs happened to be sitting in the zone right, right past where the blitzer was. He just popped it to Diggs, easy first down. And again, it was like, it just, he made him pay for the blitz. And that's, that type of recognition is what we're not seeing from fields. And that to me is, that's independent of situation. Like that's the kind of stuff. Look, if, if that's the situation and Dante Pettis is the guy that's right there and he throws a strike to Pettis and Pettis drops it. Well, then we're going to sit there and be like, that's the situation he's in. But that's what he's not recognizing. And I mean, that even goes back to the rookie, his rookie year in that preseason game where he got his head ripped off. And we found and we found out afterwards, we just assumed the offensive line. It was not the offensive line in that case. It was Fields not recognizing the defense. So that's where I'm still not seeing it. And I I, I don't want to pile on the kid because I, I I love this guy. I love the pick and I've been a big supporter of it. But um, I just there's there's something that's not clicking there. And it's, it's frustrating to me because as someone who gets to work in this industry in sports media full time, I've had opportunities to talk to people at training camps and, and you know, respected NFL analysts. And, you know, and I, I've brought this up, I think, on three straight podcasts, but, but a, a former quarterback who's a respected NFL analyst, and I, don't, I haven't heard him say it publicly, so I, I don't want to throw his name out there and attach it to it. But he said, it's impossible for me to believe that Justin Fields will fail because he checks every box as, as an analyst of what you need in a quarterback and that he should be able to do the things he's not doing. And, and that I, I still cling to that stuff, but you know, I, I learned, I looked too much at Mitch Trubisky's positives and not enough at the negatives the first couple of years. And, and I'm trying to take a different approach here with fields and and I, you know, and I, I hear everything else. He's only started what 16 games or whatever it is. And he had the bad situation and he's in another bad situation. And he's in his third offense in three years. And I get every single one of those things. And those may be things that, that lead to him not being a, able to be a successful NFL quarterback, or he may still overcome those things because, you know, it is, he's has basically just played one year in the NFL at this point, but there's enough things there where at this point, you just, I, again, and I circle back to what I said at the beginning, you just wonder if whether it's because he doesn't have the quick game, as you mentioned, or because of the just too much to overcome, you know, circumstantially that the Bears may be going in a different direction at quarterback. I can't believe I'm even saying this at in, in mid-October, but I think you can't eliminate that this new regime, who Justin Fields is not their quarterback, could go in a different direction at quarterback, you know, in 2023. Yeah, I wouldn't pencil it in right now, but I think no, it is entirely 
Yeah, no, no. But, you know, I think it's entirely possible. And again, you know, just to go to Josh Allen one more time in that second year, the second half of the season, he still wasn't a world beater like he is now. But that's where he started to show some of these little intricacies and and getting the ball out, identifying where a blitz was coming from, sliding the protection of that side, stuff like that, that still may not even translate to wins, but just shows, you know, intermittent growth. And so we can still see that. Hopefully we do still see that the schedule. Hopefully they can, you know, it's been windy a lot of their games has been kind of poor passing conditions all those things do matter as well um yeah i, I mean i would say look yeah it's, it's a greater than zero percent chance that maybe they end up with a top five pick and maybe they fall in love with one of the, the prospects in this class i would just say i know it's not your question but i would whether you like fields or not i would still go receiver or tackle or trade down for an absolute haul to someone who wants one of those quarterbacks and still go receiver or tackle and then if you let him play again in 2023 you still see not what you're looking for then in 2024 you're probably picking relatively high again and that's when maybe you strike on a prospect in that class all right so let's 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 go off what you said there um I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because Justin Fields is the quarterback and anyone listening to this podcast, I'm pretty sure wants Justin Fields to remain the quarterback, not just this year, but, but beyond, but let, let's talk about that. If they have a top five pick, which I do think there is a a high probability that they are, I I think it's a lock that are top 10. And I think it's a pretty damn good probability that they could be circling in the top five, maybe even higher than that. Cause their schedule moving forward. Yeah. Detroit's at home and there's, there's, you know, some winnable games there, but there are a lot more difficult games. I mean, when you, when you looked in, you know, May, when the schedule was out, you said, Oh, the jets, that's winnable. That doesn't look nearly as winnable now. So I think the schedule's tough. So let's, let's say the bears are picking the top. Let's not say it's the top two. Let's say it's somewhere between three and five, where if young and Stroud are your guys, um, you know, that, and they decide that, Go and get one of these guys and pivot. And whether Justin Fields quarterbacks the team for a year when the rookie learns or they do a Cardinal situation and get Kyler Murray and just jettison Rosen for whatever they can get, whatever it might be. If they go rookie quarterback, we keep hearing about the gobs of money that the team's going to have next year. And, and, And obviously that doesn't change. If there's a rookie quarterback as someone who analyzes off seasons every year, with all that money, would you see them potentially maybe picking and choosing and hitting a few young players that they think they can get at a, at a pretty good price and rolling cash forward because maybe they're not ready to spend since they would be resetting at quarterback? Or do you still think that potentially they would be going out and, and filling up a lot of that cap space? Yeah, so I think you look at different scenarios, and sometimes you wait with the young quarterback. I think it would look like the New England Patriots with Mac Jones, where they spent the most total guaranteed money in a single offseason in NFL history and then drafted Mac Jones in the first round. I think that's also the tough part with Fields is that you trade up for him. You have an old, aging roster. You know, polls, again, it, it was not a good offseason by any stretch of the imagination, but what he was working with was not what the New England Patriots had going into that offseason. So I think you go that route. I think you attack 
pack, you know, maybe a tackle, Elton Jenkins, Mike McGlinchey, Jack Conklin, just to throw some names out there. You look at interior offensive line, you look at the, the issue is receivers, maybe Jacoby Myers might be the best free agent receiver in the NFL. And he's a, I think a, a B minus B receiver. He's a good player. Um, you know, but yeah, I, I would spend in that rookie season for that guy, which again, I know, you know, maybe say, oh, well, what if he's bad? And then you spend all this money. Look, you have to evaluate the guy in a truly legitimate environment, not like what we just went through. Don't go spend like gangbusters and go crazy, but I would spend a significant amount of money on on high-impact players in his rookie season. All right, so assuming Justin Fields stays on the roster, because I doubt if there's picking fourth where there's no guarantee you're getting necessarily a quarterback, um, they're not going to jettison Fields in, in March, right? So... Yeah, I would say that the opportunity would present itself for Bears fans that the that Ryan Poles could go out and spend, like you mentioned, on, on a Jacoby Myers, Mike McGlinchey, whatever it might be. And as a Bears fan, you may be sitting there going, all right, now they're going to get Fields the help he needs. And then on draft day, turn around and, and grab C.J. Stroud or, or Price Young or something. And Bears fans' jaws hit the, hit the floor is a possibility if we don't see a turnaround from Justin. I do. I mean, I mean, like you said, it's not this regime's quarterback. They are, you know, all kind of rep by the same group and, and it's not like they don't like him, but you know, I mean, getting the new rookie in there buys you some more time. It would be Justin's third year. So if they have a lot of reservations and they go into 2023, the fifth year option decisions, then after that season. So are they concerned? They don't see enough to make that determination and all those things. I wouldn't, I would say this, I wouldn't be shocked by it, Uh, but again, I'm not counting on it. But if he plays the way he's played so far this season for the rest of the season um, and they're picking top three, top four, I mean, yeah, because you mentioned, you know, Young and Stroud, you know, Will Levis, who I personally don't like, but, you know, uh, analysts, uh, uh, scouts apparently think could be the first quarterback off the board. Like, it's a very talented class. It's not like last year. Obviously, we heard that about Fields' class, but yeah, I would not rule it out. I would understand Bears fans' frustration. I would probably be a little bit frustrated as well, um, even though I'm in love with Bryce Young, but but yeah, I would wouldn't I wouldn't count it out entirely all right um yeah a couple more things before I let you go and this is one thing I want to get at because I think this is obviously there's the eyeball test and I think you know if, if you have a general understanding of offensive line play to me I still think the eyeball test beats a lot of advanced analytics because it's look and and there's there's a lot out there now with offensive line that I've seen this year that I've never even seen before in terms in terms of kind of the advanced stats and 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 how things are, are looked at. But what we're seeing a lot in terms of uh, offensive line play and how to analyze it is a lot of people are looking at the pass block win rate from ESPN and obviously the grades from PFF. And I think those are they're pretty straightforward. You know, they're they're easy to understand. You know, it's not you know, expected points per play, you know, kind of stuff and, and, and all this other, which, which has a lot of value. And I'm not trying to devalue that at all, but I think if you're just sitting there and you're trying to look at a statistic and you you don't exactly understand other than the fact that, okay, he's ranked third in his position group at this. You said, so he's obviously performing well, but I think a lot of fans don't even quite understand how those numbers are, you know, how, how those, how they come to those numbers, but you know, you know, uh, pass block win rate, 2.5 seconds. Like it's, it's pretty straightforward. You either did it or you didn't do it. Uh, you know, the grades obviously have a nice number. That's, that's easy to understand. You may not know why 
you know, someone is an 82, you know, grade as a, as a guard in, in the, you know, at the offensive line. But it's, again, you could sit there and be like, well, that that's good. That ranks him sixth in the position. Like it's, it's really, it's a straightforward number that, that can understand. So as someone who lives in advanced statistics like this, uh, beyond just kind of looking at grades, like how do you look at, you know, kind of the best ways to evaluate offensive line? Because I think a lot of Bears fans, you know, and I don't want to pick at ESPN, but the pass block win rate, they're looking at that and seeing the Bears as one of the best in the league in that category, but they're watching the pass protection break down consistently for Justin Fields. And like we talked about earlier in this interview, some of it's Fields' fault. He's running into sacks. He does hold on to the ball too long. But we also see a lot of it. You know, we see Rashawn Gary throw Larry Borum aside. We see, you know, Sam Mustafer getting tossed aside. You know, we see the left side of the line against the Vikings collapse because, you know, Patrick and, and Jones went from each went for the wrong guy. Like we see enough of this going on. We're like the, the, the pass, but not the run blocking. The pass blocking is not good, yet ESPN says the pass blocking is good. So, you know, like I said, I'm not picking on ESPN, but I'm just – I think a lot of Bears fans are frustrated because they don't think the offensive line is performing well, but certain statistics say it is. So kind of what, what do you think is a good way to try and evaluate offensive line? If, if you're a Bears fan and, and, you know, week to week, how, how should they go about looking at this? Yeah. So again, I, I'm not trying to, you know, uh, throw shade at anyone else's metric. I do think there are inherent issues with setting a, a flat 2.5 second threshold for something, because depending on what offense, you know, Tom Brady's offensive linemen are probably going to be the best in the metric or actually, excuse me, gonna be the worst. Cause he never holds onto the ball for two and a half seconds. So the rare times he does will probably be a negative for them. And then the inverse is, you know, the bears, they run some play action. They do, you know, different things, but you know, in, in this new offense that are going to extend, extend the, the, the shot clock and, and make it longer. So I would say this, our, you know, we, we str strongly disagree on the pass protection. Our grades for them are about as bad as it gets. Tevin Jenkins is basically the only NFL caliber pass blocker per our grading. But like you said, other ways to look at it. What I love to look at as I remove screens, I remove RPOs, I remove all those plays. And just like a week, we call true pass sets. So a true three, five, seven strip drop just looking at those plays, you can also remove chips. So, you know, not when Komet or, or Monty is staying in and helping all those things. And then you evaluate it. And, and there's just no way you look at those data sets and don't think the Bears have one of the worst pass blocking units in the NFL. Um, pretty much all our metrics pointed out. They have the highest pressure rate allowed. Our pressures, we do give a lot of pressures, but... Um, it's, it's, it's film based, right? So it's not based on how far the guy, you know, a distance thing. It's literally, did we see the quarterback react to this pass rusher? And that's how we kind of dictate it. So, um, you know, it, it, it is hard to kind of give one metric. I think you should always digest everything. I also would say, wait for the sample size of, I think pass block win rate has adjusted a little bit now. Uh, you know, I know after the first month of the season, the Bears were like the, the you know, Sam Musfer was at a hundred percent pass 100%, block. Win rate. I don't know how that was possible. I don't either. I, I don't <laughs> either. Um, but yeah, so so you know, it's a lot of that stuff where it's it is very very hard to do. It's pretty cool actually. Jason Kelsey, the center for the the Philadelphia Eagles, kind of chirped one of our metrics and was like, you know, do you account for this, that, and the other? And we have something that we don't share publicly, but we actually do account for all the things he mentioned. And he had a back 
back and forth with one of our analysts. It was very cool. Um, and and kind of was like, you know, the tip of the cap to you guys. I wish you could put that out, but nevertheless. So there is so much to look at, digest all of it. But yeah, trust your eyes as well. And what you're seeing on Sundays is bad pass protection. I think it, sometimes we don't have to go galaxy brain. Uh, we can just kind of, you know, trust what we're seeing um, in some situations. I think that's one of them. All right. Well, you know, obviously there's not a lot they can do among the offensive line to, to fix the situation. You know, we've seen some teases that maybe they're going to be, you know, you know, changing up the offensive line a little bit here coming up on, on Monday night football, you know, nothing, nothing confirmed, nothing, nothing concrete. Uh, you know, a lot of people want Lucas Patrick to move to center uh, and obviously change things up there a little bit that maybe that's, that's the right thing to do. And I've been screaming that that should happen, you know, as soon as he was ready. And I was hoping, you know, once Mustafer was in essence, the only center that was active on Sundays, you know, that if something happens to him, that Lucas Patrick is going to be snapping. So obviously there's, there's some level that he he can snap the football, but I will also say this. Lucas Patrick is much worse than I thought he was. I thought he was a better player than this. And now again, career backup, getting an opportunity to start. You know, we, we heard from the get-go gets, he said he was a center and he's playing guard and that may be impacting his play as well. But if you could, and Cody Whitehair's health, I understand that that plays into this, but if you could play out your best offensive line, what, would you want to see the bears try and do let's let's give you two with white hair and without white hair. What, what do you think the bears should try and do on that front five? Yeah. With white hair from left to right, it's Braxton Jones, Cody Whitehair, uh, Lucas Patrick, Tevin Jenkins, and Larry Borum. I do agree with you. I mean, Patrick's our lowest graded pass blocker on the team. He's actually even below Sam Mustafer. Granted, they're both in the low thirties. So uh, neither is particularly good, but, um, but yeah. And I think going from right guard to left guard, and all, it's been tough. I think you put him at center, give him one spot, let him stay there. Um, but anyway, and then let's say without, I still take Sam Mustafer out. I don't want to pick on the guy. I don't want to always, I, I just think he's not, frankly, an NFL caliber talent. Um, all the respect in the world for how hard he works. I'm sure he knows the offense inside and out. They've been good about, you know, no pre-snap penalties, not a lot of false starts, not a lot of illegal formation, all that stuff. They do a good job when they do run the RPOs of not letting offensive linemen get too far downfield and having the illegal man downfield. Like, there's positives from a, you know, just organizational standpoint. But I just don't think he's the athlete. So, without him, I would still go. Braxton Jones, I would put Michael Schofield at left guard. I would put Luke Lucas Patrick at center, and I would go Tevin Jenkins and Larry Borm on the right side. All right, so so let me ask you about about one particular player. Maybe you don't have an answer for this, but Riley Reef, who when I just assumed was going to be a starting tackle for this team when they when they signed him. Obviously, they had the performance based contract for him, but I mean he's not getting a sniff. Now I understand he's thirty three, and he may, I think it's thirty three, and he may not be the player that I'm used to seeing on Sundays at, at this point. So it's, it, and it's kind of difficult because we really don't even have much to look at at all. Right. In terms of what he is as a player, but you know, I know they're a young team. I know they're trying to evaluate the roster moving forward, but I also say this at the same time, you know, you have to try and keep your quarterback upright. And I mean, just the, the pummeling he took against Washington, it's just, it, 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 it's actually, it's from a human humanistic standpoint, it's, it's tough to watch just him slowly getting up off the turf. Why do you think Riley Reef is not getting an opportunity when the offensive line screams that he probably should be? 
Yeah, it's a fair question. Um, I, I do think we saw last season in Cincinnati, you know, he is an older player, about to be 34 years old in December, um, but a solid, you know, know what you get out of him. I mentioned this when they signed him, but, you know, Minnesota, I was there when he was there, and he's talked about as a guy who has kind of worked so hard and overcome some physical talent deficiencies of his own right to just be the most steady, reliable guy. He has never had a pass block grade below 63 in his entire career, which is a 10-year career now. I think, though, they're valuing the development for young guys like a Braxton Jones and a Larry Borum over that. Um, I know you and I might not see it. I'm okay with it with Braxton Jones. With Borum, I'm getting I, I put him the, at right tackle. That's what – like, Fair enough. Line you, and I said this last week with EJ Snyder when he was on. I, I agreed with kind of – Jones, Whitehair, Patrick, uh, Jenkins, and Reef. That's, I think, their best five. And I think – and I, yeah, I, I think there's merit to that, no question. And I would say if not – then with all the injuries to tackle across the NFL, which there are plenty, if you're not going to do it, then you should be shopping him aggressively at the deadline because it is a good contract. It's a favorable contract, even with those incentives. If a team brings him in to be a swing or if they start him, but it's only half the season now, it's odds on it's going to be a one-year, $4.5 million deal, which again, with all the injuries that every, I mean, the, the Rams, the Jets, everyone has injuries to tackle, um, you probably could get a decent return there. So yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing him at right tackle in the near future. Um, he's probably better than in both tackles, frankly, but I get why, you know, they drafted this kid out of the fifth round in Southern Utah. They believe in him. He's an awesome, you know, when he's, when he's doing the pressers, he sounds like he knows his stuff and he's, he's I see some growth there. I also see growing pains, um, but yeah, at a certain point, I mean, the quarterback's getting killed and you have a, a, a stalwart veteran just sitting there. You might as well look into it. All right. Two quick ones here before I let you go, uh, especially being, you know, cap analyst and someone who really looks at the off, off seasons and understands off seasons. Roquan Smith. Uh, now, my my stance on Roquan Smith in the off season was he should absolutely ask for five years, a hundred million with fifty five million guaranteed, because it doesn't matter if you're the best at your position as long as you're one of the best at your position. I mean, we see it. You know, Kyler Murray becomes the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. We all know he's not the best. Like it's just it's just how the, these salaries work. Now, at the same time, I said, if I was Ryan Poles, I wouldn't pay Roquan Smith that much. So I, I think the only issue I had in this offseason of how things played is that Roquan Smith doesn't have an agent. I think that's a mistake. So that's kind of where I was here. And I've just kind of assumed that Roquan Smith was going to be tagged after this season. Uh, and that still could happen. But I think that tag is going to be about 19, 20 million. And once you commit to playing someone that much, you really can't say, all right, but now we're going to give you 17 million a year annually. I, it doesn't really work once you've already told the player, well, we will go to 19 for one year. Right. So, but you know, he's had some bad games, you know, he had the really good game against Houston, a little better against Washington, although he did get trucked by Carson Wentz. Um, kind of where are you with Roquan Smith at this point, plenty of games left for him to kind of get on track and put together that, that all pro kind of caliber season he's been doing. And I know he's leading the league in tackles, but that's a little misleading. I think a, a lot of times. So kind of where are you with Roquan Smith? And where do you think he is playing himself contractually into next season? Yeah, it's fascinating. So first and foremost, he's not really a trade deadline candidate in my eyes. It's just hard to get a team to take on about $5 million. You could you know, try to eat some of that money, maybe facilitate a deal. Maybe that's more likely, but I just don't really see it. 
Um, yeah, you mentioned the franchise tag. This is why it's very, very frustrating that linebacker includes guys like Khalil Mack that are outside yeah. linebackers, you know, with with Roquan Smith in this calculation for the franchise tag. And so while I do think it's still certainly possible, they tag him and say, all right, we're, we're not giving this guy up for free. We're not going to lose him in free agency. Folks will jump in and say, oh, but the comp pick, they're going to spend like gangbusters. So they're not going to get a comp pick or they at least shouldn't plan to get a comp pick for him because they should be adding talent in their own right. Um, it, you know, it's, I, that's why I come back to the franchise tag as big as the value as it is, uh, because letting him, letting a top 10 pick walk for nothing is a really, really hard pill to swallow. But at the same time, you shouldn't let that kind of put your feet to the fire and force you to do something you're not comfortable with. So as of right now, you're still not, in my opinion, you're still not giving him the five year, a hundred million dollar deal that he probably wants and, and arguably deserves based on his entire body of work. This also just shows, though, not to go back, but like this is why these situations are why drafting an off-ball linebacker with a top 10 pick becomes more complicated. Like all these little nuances and stuff, it, it's tough because you, you 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 can't even, you know, sell high or, or this pass off. They probably they probably entertained a couple phone calls and I'm sure no one was offering a first and maybe maybe a second round pick. But I don't know. Long answer short, you let it play out. You see how it goes. I still think franchise tag is entirely on the table because no one else on the team needs it and they're not going to lose an asset for free. But like you said, that just gets you probably right back to square one where you then have another one year deal and you don't really know what to do with it. And and it kind of, you know, it festers. All right. And, And last thing, you know, I haven't really talked about this Monday night football game coming up at all. The Patriots, this defense is really going to be a problem for the, the entire bears offense. And, you know, you kind of, you know, you, you make a joke of the uh, Drago from Rocky four, you know, if he dies, he dies. Like, I swear that's going to be Bill Belichick on, on Monday, just teeing off on this poor kid. I have a lot of concerns about this game. Uh, you know how Belichick's historically done against young quarterbacks. Usually they, they like to put out the rookie quarterback stats, but fields is, is, you know, basically that still at this point. So kind of what, what, what do you expect out of this Monday night football game? I am very nervous. I think it's going to be a scary football game as well. Um, Christian Barmore hasn't even been as good as he has, you know, his rookie season. I think it's a get right spot for him against the very poor interior. Obviously, you know, Jenkins is playing well, but, um, and then yeah, Dietrich wise and Matthew Judon have been really good on the edge so far. Their secondary is playing really well. I mean, they have four safeties. You could roll out and play on any given snap. You can bring them down to the box. They can play a deep, it's Bill Belichick's. Well, I think it's, he's doing one of the best jobs he's done in a long time. Because really, it's not a super talented defense. Right. They have some good players, no great players, but he's coaching guys up. They have a lot of young players making a lot of contributions. Um, but yes, I think he's going to show him some looks he's never seen before. You know, that's why I mentioned the safeties. Like they'll show you too high, rotate to single high. They'll show you single high, rotate, rotate too high. They'll play man. They'll play zone. They'll play cover three, cover two. Like they'll do everything in the entire book. Um, and I think it's going to be an ugly Monday night football game. Unfortunately, I agree. Uh, there he is. He's at PFF underscore Brad, Brad Spielberger. I'm guessing you're following him already, but if you're not, make sure you go out and do that. It's great content uh, on the bears, but on the NFL, especially in the off season salary cap and, and, and free agency, Brad always puts together the top free agent list. So it's, it's great content. So make sure you follow Brad and uh, Brad. Thanks for so much time. Enjoy the conversation. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me. All right, there he is. Brad Spielberger, everybody. Again, at PFF underscore Brad on Twitter. Make sure you give him a follow. Like I said, the con- and that's not me just blowing smoke. Uh, that is legitimate. It is great 
social media, tw- great Twitter content, great articles. You make sure you give Brad a follow, like I said, especially in the offseason because that's truly where he excels. And and as for this game coming up, I, I'm with Brad. I have monstrous concerns about this game. Bill Belichick is merciless against against young quarterbacks. This defense will come after you. They will they will hit you. And, and I just have concerns about Justin Fields. This pass protection needs to be better. You can I mean, just it was it was painful, genuinely painful to watch Justin Fields there. And and I get some of it is fault, and we we've talked about it, but. There's just, he's not getting any help. Of course, some of it's going to be his fault. It's his second year in the NFL. But just the fact that he's just not getting any, any help. And we knew he wasn't going to get any help. And that's why we were so down on this entire offseason. Because there just was nothing done for him. It's just, it's a painful situation for fans to watch and obviously for Fields to be in, who's admitted. Like he's just, I have, I got the hell beat out of me. It's basically what he said. He was in a lot of pain. It's just, it's just tough to watch. And I just think this Patriots team presents a really bad matchup. And, you know, maybe the Bears defense can, can keep the Patriots offense down. That is not an impossible task, but I just don't like the Bears offense against this defense. And I have concerns about Justin Fields. I said it uh, to people before the Washington game, that Washington D-line is going to give the Bears offensive line trouble. That's exactly what they did. And Justin Fields paid the price. And I think that is potentially going to happen again. Thank goodness. Not only does he get the mini bye week with the Thursday game, but pile a Monday night game on top of that. So he does get a lot of rest before this game. But this is... A a tough situation. I do not think the Bears are going to score a lot of points. I think there's a good chance they even end up in single digits in in this game. So uh, I'm going to look at this game, and I think this is going to be something like, you know, 20 to 9, something like that, 23 to 9. Let's call it 23 to 9 Patriots. I just don't like this one at all. And I'll tell you what, this schedule coming up, I don't think (laughs) – I think things are going to go south for the Bears. I genuinely do. I just don't think a lot of things are clicking the way they need to right now. I know that Minnesota game, but you can't do it. Washington at home, they, the, the, the fact that they have proved now that they are worse than Washington and a, fee, you know, a, a last play of the game to beat Houston at home, we know what the Bears are, and that's one of the worst teams in the NFL. So unless they get this turnaround offensively in the passing game, if they can't start passing the football – like an NFL team, like a professional football team, this thing is going to bottom out, and you're only going to see the Bears win a couple more games the rest of the year. Hopefully I'm wrong, but like I said, if things don't change, this is going to get ugly in a hurry. I think they're going to lose a few more games in a row. They circle that Detroit game at home coming up because that's that, that might be the next chance they have to win. They are not going to be favored in more than one or two games the rest of the way. We, we've got a problem on our hands, Bears fans. This is going to be a long season. Rebuild or not, this is going to be a long, frustrating season. So 23 to 9, Patriots. We'll see if I'm right, and we'll talk to you next week. Bear down, everybody. Adios. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. 
Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.